Okay, good morning. Mr. McMahon, come up here for a second. Him and I call each other every morning just to make sure that we match. So This, this is what he wants to look like someday. <laughs> yeah. All of this. Oh, He's yeah. He's doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Sad, sad. <laughs> um, 1994 is when I step foot on the campus of MBBI as a student. Seems like a long time ago. And uh, probably the, maybe the greatest mistake that I made, and this is what I want to begin with. This is, uh, we're going to be coming to Haggai in a second to just look at a couple verses. But one of the big mistakes that I probably made is that I, I came to MBBI with a, a mindset Grew up in a pastor's home. My dad, all my life, was a pastor. He wasn't saved till he was in his 30s. Uh, was a very successful businessman before that. Got saved um, watching a Billy Graham crusade. Had a beer in one hand, a cigarette in the other hand in his home, and he got, he got saved. Uh, poured all his liquor down the sink, and, and then he, he went to this local church in Ontario, where he was, and uh, Mr. Bob Dowie came through the choir from MBBI. My dad had never heard of MBBI before. And heard Mr. Dowie preach and thought, if, if that's what's going on at that place, that's where I need to be. So sold everything, packed up, and we moved up to the trailer court. So I was a, a trailer court kid. <laughs> I remember those years. It was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. And to see how God's worked in my dad's life. And but when I came to MBBI, I uh, had this idea in my mind that I already knew what I wanted to do. And being a pastor, which is what I became for 10 years, was not in the plans for me. I thought, because my dad had always said to me, Matt, I want you to give one year of your life to go to Bible school. I don't care what you become, that, you know, that's between you and the Lord, but I think you ought to, you ought to train and study and, and come to know God in a, in a deeper way. So really, I came to MBBI probably initially just out of the immense respect that I had for my dad as a man of God, and I thought, well, you know, I'll start with that. But I came, as I said, with a mindset that I kind of already knew what I wanted to do. I really believe now that we look at our world today, we have over 7 billion people on planet Earth. And I think that we get our mindset wrong. I really believe that everybody that comes to MBBI ought to have the mindset that, God, you want me to serve you full-time. And if you take me out of that into something that is secular, so be it. I think the mindset of most people is, Lord, I want to be in secular work, and if you call me to full-time work, well, maybe I'll consider that. The fact that God has brought you here, I think, that, and it might not, that might not be God's will for your life to be in, in you understand when I use the, the word full-time ministry. I mean, I, I understand people sometimes don't like that term. Well, everybody's in full-time ministry, but, but you understand what I mean. Um, whether that be the mission field or, or getting involved with CEF. We've had a lot of grads get involved with children's ministry or CSSM or for some of you guys becoming pastors or Christian workers. I want you to really think this year uh, and, and have the mindset that, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave myself open to that because you probably, at this, at this stage of the game, you probably have some plans for your life um, that are already mapped out beyond your time at MBBI. 
And that's one of the purposes of, of chapels. I'll come back to my dad. When my dad was here, he didn't know what God wanted him to do. He just knew that he needed to come and to train. He had just gotten saved. And there was a guy that came to chapel, and he was sitting in, uh, my dad was sitting in chapel, and he, at this time, he's about 34 years of age, 35 years of age. Heard this guy, and my dad said he was the, mo- he was the most boring speaker he'd ever heard in his life. And, and he hadn't been saved that long, but he said he was boring. And uh, so months went by, the same guy came back, and I remember my dad saying, he came into chapel thinking, oh Lord, what in the world is this guy doing back here? I mean, he's such a boring speaker. At least that's what he thought. And, and yet, my dad said, well, I'm just going to, maybe God has something that he's going to say to me. And actually, it was through that guy that, that my dad was called to ministry, just through something he said. I don't know particularly what it was. But you've got to have that mindset. Everybody that comes into these chapels, they're, they're, they're not all going to be dynamic. They're not all going to be, going to be preachers. Uh, as Mr. McMahon said, some of them are just sharing their heart as to what they've done in, in missions or so forth and so on. Leave yourself open to allowing God to impact your heart and to, and to change your direction. Whatever plans you might have, leave yourself open to that this year. I would encourage you to do that. Haggai chapter one. Uh, we're, we're actually going to be looking at Haggai chapter 1, but also we're going to, to, to kind of give us a um, little bit of a, a background. Um, we're going to be coming to Ezra too. So come to Haggai, keep your finger there, and then come to Ezra in chapter 1 as well. Let's... Uh, Let's just have a word of prayer and then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts here this morning. Father, I want to thank you for the word of God. Pray that you will um, keep, keep ourselves in tune with your spirit so that we might learn, we might be able to grow. And Lord, these few thoughts, Lord, that I have this morning, I pray that you'll uh, use these things to just encourage the student body. In Jesus' name, amen. In 536 B.C., the Persian emperor Cyrus issued a decree. He permitted all the Jewish exiles that were in Babylon, because if you remember, because of the unfaithfulness of, of God's people, he had permitted them to go into exile, to go into captivity in Babylon. So 536 BC, the Persian king issues a decree. And he says, of all the Jewish exiles that are in Babylon, you are free you are permitted to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now we're going to read about that account and then we'll come back to Haggai, but in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 it says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. It had to be God that stirred his heart. Because what kind of pagan king would have a heart for building God's temple? Here he is, and he says, God's God's put this in my heart to issue this decree. And then he says in verse 3, 
Who is there among you of all of his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. What What a magnificent proclamation that must have been. But how must that have shocked the ears of the people that heard it, especially the Jewish people. Could you imagine you're in captivity and you're in a foreign land and all of a sudden uh, the, the king, this pagan king in this foreign land issues this decree and he says, listen, God has stirred my heart and given me a burden that, that I'm going to send back as many as want to go of the Jewish people to go rebuild the temple that's been destroyed. That would have been a shocker. So he says, who's willing to go? There were about 50,000 of the Jewish people that decided that they were going to return under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. So they go back to Jerusalem and they begin the restoration process. They're cleaning up the rubble. They're fixing the altar of burnt offerings in the courtyard so at least sacrifices can begin again. But there's so much work to be done. And here they are in this setting, but, but obviously anytime you want to do a work for God, what's always going to be around the, the corner? Trouble? Trials? We, we didn't really think that, that Satan was just going to let them go ahead and build this temple and, and not seek to try to destroy the efforts of God's people and discourage them. That's what's going to happen. That's what can happen to you at MBBI. You know, this is the first day of classes, so you're beginning, you're kind of riled up, you're ready to go, you want to learn. Um, come January, you may kind of get into a rut and feel, man, alive. I got to get up again. I got to, you know, that's what happens. It's just part and parcel to, to being a human. And, and notice what it says in Ezra chapter 4. Come over to Ezra 4, and then we're going to come over to Haggai. But Ezra 4, verse number 4. So as they come back, these 50,000 people under Zerubbabel and Joshua, it says, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Isn't that interesting that here you are, you, you want to come here to MBBI, you want to, you want to learn the Word of God you want to study God's Word. You want to get a firm foundation in the Word of God. And yet there is going to be so many things that Satan is going to try to use to frustrate your purpose. You are here for a purpose. And you can mark it down that the great adversary of your soul, Satan himself, wants nothing more than to weaken your hand and to frustrate the purpose that God has placed in your heart to study His Word. So, are you going to let Him do that? What happened with the people here? Well, let's come over to Haggai. With that background in mind, let's come to Haggai. Now, to give you, we don't have the time to read all these verses, so I'm going to just kind of uh, give you a quick update from that time to where we are here with Haggai. They, the 50,000 go back with Zerubbabel and Joshua and they're building and all of a sudden they're frust- their, their purposes are frustrated and the enemy actually convinces the new king, King Ahasuerus, to stop the work. 
So, so Cyrus sends them back, motivated to build, and now all of a sudden, they're probably in Jerusalem. They're trying to do the work of God, build a temple, and, and there's a roadblock in the way. And they're saying, God, what in the world are you doing? First, you let us go. Now you're stopping us. What's going on here? So what happens in the midst of the discouragement is when the work was stopped, here's what happened. People began to say, well, you know, I, I did have to paint that fence at home. I did have some yard work, and, and my wife's been on me to clean up the house and do, do those much-needed repairs that needed to be done. And so, so they, they went home, and they began to concentrate on their own lives, just content to have the altar rebuilt and the rest of it in ruins. And one year turned into two years, into four years, into eight years, into ten years, into 15 years later, and they hadn't got any further in the work. Satan had so frustrated the purposes of God's people that they had literally relegated the work of God to the sidelines and concentrated on their own lives. And here is the great way in which Satan frustrated the purposes of God's people and weakened their hands. Look at Haggai and come in verse 2. Haggai 1, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say... Here's what Haggai is saying that the people were saying. The very people that originally had come back to build the temple, what are they saying now? The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. I want to suggest to you that the tactic of Satan probably for you as a Bible school student will not, try to, will not be to try to convince you that, that you don't need to study God's Word or you don't need to give this part of your life over to the Lord or you don't need to surrender this aspect or, or that. That's not probably going to be his tactic to say you don't need to. His tactic will probably be to say you don't really need to do it now. You see, how many people are sitting in evangelical churches today promising God that in a future time, maybe they're a couple my age and they're saying, you know what, I really can't give to the work of the Lord now. I can't, I can't financially give. But when the kids are grown up, we don't have so many financial burdens, then I'll give. I, I really can't be involved in, in this program or that program or in this service opportunity, but, but in this future day, I'm, I'm really going to make time to do that. I'm really not being that faithful in my devotions. Maybe, probably it's, it's true that some of you, at this point in your life, you're, you're, you don't really have a consistent devotional life. Not all of you, but some are probably coming with that situation. And, and, and you have the intention. I'll, I'll study God's Word. I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it the priority that it needs. Here's, here's the problem. A not yet, all too quickly, turns into a too late. A not yet turns into a too late. I have sat by in my time in pastoral ministry and was a chaplain for five years in a hospital as well during my pastoral uh, time. I sat by the bedside of a lot of dying people. Some of them had faithfully served the Lord and some of them had a whole pile of regrets 
because all the not yets that they had in their life that they intended to get around to, here they are and life is over. And so what, what, does, what does God say to these people? You see, the, the point here is this. This is the time for you to, to make that decision to say, Lord, I'm not going to have this attitude of, of a not yet. I'm going to say now, today, whatever, whatever it is in your life that you need God to do, don't put it off. Make a commitment now in this day, in this time, in this moment to say, Lord, this is the time. It's not a not yet kind of a situation. It's a right now. Right now, we begin first chapel, first day of classes. We want to do business with God. And nothing will destroy your joy and frustrate your purposes more than to simply keep putting off what you know God needs to do in your life right now. Now notice what happens. Here's here's what God says in verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed or luxurious houses and this house lie waste? What is God saying there? He's saying, listen, isn't it interesting that the very people that have no time for God have all kinds of time for themselves? Right? Right? Very people that can't make time to come to church and, and to be involved in the things that they should be involved in as God's people, they have all kinds of time for other things. And here is God saying, is it time for you to dwell in your luxurious houses and in this house is going to lie waste? Are you really going to try to convince me as the God of all of the universe to convince me that you can just let my house lie waste? Well, you're painting your white picket fence. No. In fact, God says this. He says, verse 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Here's the three important words for this morning. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And and the challenge that that God is, is giving here is He's really telling them, listen, to consider your ways is, is to focus your attention on yourself, to be man enough, to be woman enough, to look yourself in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, and say, God, what is it that you need to do in my life? Not only am I ready to do it, but I'm ready to do it now. The time is now. Now, I've got to skip over quite a bit here because I, it's 20 after, right? Yeah, so I've got five minutes, so I've got to conclude this pretty quick. Um, let, me, let me bring you... Um, well, I'll just read this verse, and then I'll bring you right to the end. In ver- come, come to verse 6. Here's what God says. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. People that focus their life on themselves, 
thinking that, you know, I'm just going to spend this time, and, and later I'm going to serve the Lord, but I'm going to spend this time right now, and I'm going I'm to build myself the nest of security that I need. The Bible says that they actually earn wages to put it into a, hole, into a bag with holes. People that live for themselves, here's what they find out. They never have enough. Doesn't matter how much they get, it's never enough. Doesn't matter how, how, how they excel in this world, at least in, in the eyes of this world's economy. It doesn't matter how much they progress the Bible says it's, it's sowing much and bringing in little. It's eating and not having enough. It's drinking but not being filled. It's clothing and yet not being warm. See, the idea is this. Apart from the Lord, when you're just living for yourself, you're always going to be lacking. You're always going to be lacking. That's what that verse is saying. So what does he say again? Consider your ways. Now, the amazing thing is that as we come to the end of this story, we find that the people that Haggai was speaking to, they actually got the message. And they listened to the words of Haggai, and and so here's what it says in verse 13. Thus spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in uh, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So here's what happens. At the end, the people said, you know what, you're right. We've got to get our priorities straight. We've got to consider our ways. We've got to focus our attention on the work of God instead of our own lives. And here's what happens. God says this through the mouth of Haggai the prophet. He says, I am with you. When you decide to give it all to the Lord and to open your life up completely before Him, God will give you the absolute assurance of His presence. People that serve the Lord and are faithful to the Lord. You don't hear them coming to the end of their life that have been faithful to the purposes that God has given and saying, you know what, if I had to do it over again, what a waste of time. You hear those kinds of people saying, if I had to do it over again, whatever commitment I made, I'd have gone even deeper in my commitment to Christ. And here's what happens. When you make that decision, notice what it says in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all of the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts their God. This is what happens to make that decision. And God knows your heart to say, Lord... I'm looking within and I, I, don't, I don't want to have this not yet mentality. I want to have this right now mentality. Here's what the Bible says. God stirred up their hearts. The stirring of the heart, I believe what that means is that God excited them in their duty for Him. Some of the most exciting times that you can have as a believer, is when you are just committed wholeheartedly to the Lord. When your heart grows cold and the flame starts to die, that's when you're in trouble. And so, in this year, I want to just ask you this question. What is it in your life that you are telling God, not yet? 
because you better settle that right now. What, what not yet exists in your life? What corner of your life are you not going to give God permission to touch and to work in? See, God's, God's answer to that is consider your ways. And it might be different for all of you. You're all at different places in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Not everybody's at the same place. You're all dealing with different issues in your life. But, but you need to say, Lord, this not yet that I've had in my life, it stops today. Give God the reins of your life, the permission to steer you in the way that you need to go. Okay, let's bow in a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you. Lord, for the Word of God, and I pray that you will, Lord, help all of us not to make the excuse that the people of Judah had done for so many years. For 15 years, they they had left off the work of God to look after their own selves. And we can all come to the place in our life where we can fall prey to these not-yets. to to always be thinking, eventually I'll get around to this. Eventually I'll let God deal with this in my life. Lord, help us to make the commitment to say, Lord, today, today, I want you to make this change. Today, I want you to begin that work that you need to begin that I've been putting off for so long. My prayer, Lord, is that all of these students will have such a transforming year that they'll come out the other end and we won't even recognize them. That's the level of devotion and depth of growth that they'll have. So we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.